have homed in on the bearded beacon. This is Seal, with what we're going to call a special episode. Special episode number one, in fact. A little departure from our normal format. I had the opportunity to preach a sermon this morning in church. Um, we had a special men's service. All the men of the church gathered together and kind of ran the show and uh, let, ever, let all the ladies relax and let the pastor take the Sunday off and uh, fell to me to preach. So I pulled off to, uh, went, went back to the well and, and pulled up an old Sunday school lesson that I had taught a number of years back and just happened to record it and thought, well, why not? Throw it out there as a special episode of the podcast. I know this is very different from what y'all are used to hearing, so um, we'll see how this goes. If uh, We'll see if we get any response at all on this. I don't know. Uh, may do it again, may not, but this may just be a one-time thing. I don't know. But I had the recording and thought, why not? Uh, Chris will be back uh, recording with me hopefully tomorrow night, uh, and we'll get our next regularly scheduled episode out. But for now, if you'd care to, Sit back, relax, and listen to a lesson entitled Joyfully Obedient out of the book of Philippians. Good morning. Our scripture lesson this morning is going to come from uh, Philippians, not Philemon. There is no Philemon chapter 2. It's Philippians chapter 2. If you go to page 1162 in your pew Bibles, we're going to look at verses 12 to 30. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe." As you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the, day, on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering and sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send, you t- to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered and receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because, he, because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you, that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him, because he, is, because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give to me. The word of God for the people of God. And I'm going to switch over to the NASB. So if you're following along and it doesn't quite line up, don't worry, it's, it's, all, the, it's all the same message. Our study in Philippians today focuses on being joyfully obedient to God. 
joyfully obedient regardless of circumstance. Now, sometimes it's easy, and sometimes it's hard. And let's face it, when circumstances are good, obedience to the Father on our part tends to be easy. When circumstances are not so good, that same obedience tends to be harder and also tends to be somewhat begrudgingly. But in order to be truly effective and truly live life as a witness of Christ to others, we have to find the joy. Without it, folks will get turned off real quick. So that joyful obedience is what we're going to talk about today. But to do that, we first need to understand where it comes from. It comes from having a Christ-like, humble attitude. If we back up a few verses in this same chapter of Philippians, we see a picture of that. Take a look at verses 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we're going to break down today's passage, that two through, or 12 through 30, into a two-part, I've got a two-part outline. So we're going to look at it as being joyful, obedient, first of all, in action and attitude. That's verses 12 to 16. And second, we'll look at it as being joyfully obedient in circumstance, whatever circumstance, verses 17 to 30. Now, in typical Paul fashion, he has he set a starting point for us, this concept of attitude or humility that we looked at in those, when we backed up into those verses 3 to 8. We need to be like Christ. We need to have his mindset. And with that in mind, Paul is going to give us our marching orders. Here's where you're going to go. Here's what you're going to do. And here's how you're going to do it. And he even gives us a little bit of the why, which we don't always get. Um, you know, in the, in, the, in the secular world, we don't always get that why. But it helps us understand what's going on. Now, as an aside, remember that God, through Paul, is communicating his desire for us. God wants relationship with us. He's not after mindless robots. He wants us insofar as we're able to understand where he's coming from. In giving us a little bit of his perspective, it helps us to understand. And obedience is then a little bit easier. So here in verses 12 to 16, Paul's going to give us our direction. He's going to tell us what joyful obedience based on a Christ-like attitude is. Looking back at verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. In verse 12, Paul talks about obedience just right off the bat, immediately. And he talks about how they, the Philippian church to whom he's writing this letter, 
were obedient when he was there. Paul planted that church. He actually started that church. He pastored it for a time. And during that time, it would have been much easier for them to be obedient with Paul's example right there with them, right there in front of them. For us, inside these walls, it's easier to be obedient. We have our pastor, we have our teachers, we have our, our, our church leaders to encourage and correct us. But Paul knows that in the absence of that, it can be a little tougher. Paul was only with them in person for a short time. At the writing of this letter, he's been gone actually for a number of years. He knew that left on their own, things could be tough for the Philippians. And it's the same for us, right? When we're out in the world, Monday through Saturday, unless we work for the church, we probably don't have that kind of pastoral leadership in our workplaces, in our day-to-day -day lives. So in order to keep it up, we look directly to Christ for, as our example, to step our game up. And that's kind of what Paul's saying here is step your game up. You know, don't, don't slack off. The next part of verse 12 gives us the specific point of obedience Paul's getting at. You put this verse in context, and what you get is Paul writing a letter to a group of believers. He's not saying, figure out if you're saved. He's writing to people who are saved. When he says, your salvation, he's referring to something they already have, this new life in Christ. So what he's getting at is, you have this new life, now go live it out. And Paul puts a condition on how we're to do it. He says, with fear and trembling. What he means by that is approach your work, your new life in Christ, with respect and reverence and care. Because as he points out in 13, verse 13, it's God who is at work in us. It's God Almighty who is directly at work in your life and my life. And we need to approach that with the proper respect. There's two illustrations of this part of the passage that work well here that I've found that I really like. The first comes from Tony Evans, the pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Church in Dallas. He writes about this, this part of the passage. Scrabble is a challenging game. It involves the bringing together of letters to form words. Although at first glance, they may seem like, it may seem like an easy game to play because there are only 26 letters in the English alphabet. These letters come together to form enough words to fill the Encyclopedia Britannica, the Library of Congress, and the World Wide Web. The game of Scrabble involves the ordering of items that originally have no implicit order. The words already exist, but the letters must be arranged a certain way to be made into words. The goal of this game is for players to set out letters so that they now make sense. Christians are to live their lives in a way that their actions come together to form a picture of salvation. Salvation is a gift and for the Christian already exists. The goal of living the Christian life is to arrange one's lifestyle so that it now looks like the existence of a person saved by grace. The second illustration I wanna look at is simply verses 12 and 13 again from the message, paraphrase. What I'm getting at, friends, is that you should not simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning. When I was living among you, you lived in responsive obedience. Now that I'm separated from you, keep it up. Better yet, redouble your efforts. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent and sensitive before God. That energy is God's energy, energy deep within you, 
God himself willing and working what will give him the most pleasure. That last part of verse 13 talks about God's good pleasure. God wants to be in relationship with us. He doesn't need it. It brings him pleasure. And that should be cause for joy because we have Christ's mindset because God is working in us for his good pleasure. Our default position should be joy because if it brings God pleasure and we have God's or Christ's mindset, then it should bring us pleasure and it's easy to find joy in pleasure. And with our default position of joy, Paul lays out his next logical step here in verses 14 to 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain or toil in vain. Now, verse 14 is where it gets hard for all of us, for me, for you, for everybody. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We tend to want to say, well, do some things or do certain things. But all means all. Everything you do, do it without grumbling or disputing. And the, again, the message paraphrase puts it to us another way. But it, says, it says this, do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. A ready and cheerful attitude. Bill Crowder in our Daily Bread wrote this about verse 14. During my first week of Bible college, we had several days of orientation in which we were given a rule book to study. Several days later, during a meeting to discuss those rules, one of the students stood up and asked, what is no gripping? And why is it against the rules? He was referring to a statement in the rule book he had misread. It said, instead of gripping, it's griping, complaining or grumbling. A rule against griping is perfectly understandable. The cancer of a complaining spirit can undermine the spiritual and emotional health of an individual and can infect an entire group. This can result in discontent, frustration, and even rebellion. Moses heard griping among God's people a mere three days after leaving, after leading them from slavery into freedom. Centuries later, Samuel felt the weight of griping as he sought to represent God to his generation. A complaining spirit can destroy the effectiveness of a church too. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, do all things without complaining and disputing. We need to avoid a complaining spirit when serving Christ. Instead, rejoice and thank God for all he has done. No griping aloud. So that illustration points out complaining can destroy the effectiveness of a church. That's so very true. And again, I know I'm, I know I'm reading this a lot, but I want to hammer it home. Let's look at verse 15 again. So that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. Now think about it. How effective 
How effective a witness is a church body if all they do is complain, argue, infight? What does that look like to the outside world? What if someone, someone comes in through that door seeking answers about Christ? What does that look like? A church like that, when I originally taught this lesson, it was, um, it was a Sunday school lesson, a Bible study lesson, and there were some, some issues going on in the class, and so I, I put in there a class like that because I was preaching as much to myself as my peers, but, um, but it appears no different than the rest of the world. No different. Someone from the outside looking in would think, well, they're no different than anybody else. They're no different from me. What difference does Christ actually make in a life? What do I need him for? And that would be a tragedy. Instead, if we were going about our work readily and cheerfully, someone coming through the door would see lives transformed and countercultural to the rest of the world. It may very well spur them on to dig deeper into what it is that makes us this way. This is a powerful witnessing tool. And in this joyful obedience, Paul points out that we are holding fast the word of life or the gospel. We're living out the gospel of Christ by being joyfully obedient to him. Paul is excited about that part because when Christ comes back, he can then stand before the Lord Jesus and say, aren't you proud of these folks? They got it. They lived it out. Look at all the things that were accomplished and all the people that believe the gospel because of the work you did through them. So there you have that idea of living a joyfully obedient life in action and attitude. And almost as if to prove his work and toil isn't in vain, Paul's going to give us three examples of all of this at work. He's going to illustrate this for us. He's going to show us that it can be done. First of all, he's going to put himself under the microscope. He's going to use himself for a moment. Secondly, he uses his disciple, Timothy, who was known to the Philippians. And lastly, he uses a man named Epaphroditus, a member of the church at Philippi, one of their own, one of their congregation. In verses 17 and 18, Paul gives the example of himself as one in bondage or in prison. Verse 17. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifices and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now, as a little bit of a review, a little more context, Paul's basically writing this letter from prison. He's under house arrest in Rome. He's waiting to go before Caesar. He was arrested for preaching the gospel. Um, he played his Roman citizenship card and appealed to Caesar. Now he's now, at this point, he's either waiting to plead his case or he's waiting for the verdict. But he's waiting, he's under house arrest. Either way, this is a tough situation for him. But we know if, if you go back and, on your own, go back and read chapter one uh, later on today, we know that he's in fact being joyfully obedient. Paul when you read this, he almost seems excited about his circumstances because he has what amounts to a captive audience of Roman guards and officials that he's preaching the gospel to. And they're believing and they're sharing it with others. So this, from Paul's point of view, is a huge victory. 
So what he's saying here in 16 and 17 is that even if he's executed for preaching the gospel to the likes of the Philippians and others, he'll go joyfully. He knew he was being joyfully obedient to Christ. He knew he was doing God's good work. And he wants the Philippians to share in that joy. He wants all of us to share in that joy. The next example Paul gives is Timothy. And Timothy's like a son to Paul. Paul discipled him at a young age, took him on his second and third missionary journeys. This is someone who Paul trusted thoroughly. So it's a no-brainer Paul would want to send Timothy to the Philippians to see how they're doing and to carry that news back to him. Verses 19 through 24, Paul says, but I, hope the Lord, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that, I might, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. We get this picture of Timothy as someone who genuinely cares about others. He's really concerned about how the Philippians are doing. And comparing uh, Timothy to others, Paul states that where others are seeking their own interests, doing their own thing, Timothy's looking out for other people first. It goes back to that attitude of humility, putting others first. He's got that humble attitude of Christ. We only hear about Timothy as, as caring for others and doing God's work and spreading the gospel. There's no mention of a bad attitude or complaining. And if he did, Paul is not above calling him out. Go read all of Paul's epistles, and you'll see he tells it like it is. You know, he's not afraid to call folks out where need be, but not Timothy, because he didn't need to. Lastly, we have Epaphroditus. I think the best for last. The best, clearest example of the three, of someone who joyfully obeys the Lord. He joyfully, cheerfully, readily lives out his salvation in Christ. So we'll close out looking at verses 25 to 30. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you, because he was longing for you all, and was distressed because he, you had heard he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So what happened was the Philippians found out Paul was under house arrest in Rome. They'd heard what was going on with him. They wanted to help out. So they took up a special collection of some called a love offering, if you will. And they gave it to Epaphroditus, one of their own, to take it to Paul. That was his mission, to take it to Paul and minister to his needs. Now, at some point in the journey, we don't know when, but at some point in the journey, he got sick and nearly died. But notice when he got better, he didn't throw in the towel. It would have been very easy to 
get to a point, you know, oh, I feel, I'm just going to, I can't do this, I'm going to go home. But he doesn't do that. He keeps going. He finishes his assignment. And during this time, the Philippians get word about the illness, and they become concerned for him. Then Epaphroditus finds out they're worried about his concern for them. And so he wants to go back that they not be worried about him. He wants them to know, hey, don't, don't worry, everything's fine. He wants to go back simply so they can see he's okay, not because he wants to stop his mission, not because he wants to stop his work, just so that his friends, his family can see that he's fine. So now what happens is Paul writes this letter we know as Philippians. He gives it to Epaphroditus to take back to Philippi. And in this letter, Paul tells them to welcome Epaphroditus back with open arms and to hold him and men like him in high regard. Paul says, the ones who in the face of adversity carry on in obedience to Christ are the ones who, should, who we should look up to and emulate. If you think about it, that concept tracks right along with this whole lesson. Because those are the ones who are emulating Christ, who in the face of the greatest adversity carried on joyfully obeying the Father. Joyfully, cheerfully, readily, obedient. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to just open up your word and, and unpack it and hear from you. And God, I, I just pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would fill this place and, and that we would seek and find the joy that you have for us and that we would, we would all be joyfully obedient in, in doing your work and spreading your word and, and sharing your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.